Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. I'm back in studio with Elias. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, so I feel bad for you. Why? Well, you showed me the call last week that you were a thousand percent positive about, and it mm -hmm. got overturned. Yeah, and we'll, we'll we'll probably talk about that later on in the show. But what Roger's referring to, so I officiate football, and I'm new. I'm in my second season, and uh, what last Saturday, biggest blown call of my career so far. And to top it off, it benefited the school I went to. So that's a great look this for me. This is the ultimate homer call. Yeah, it's the ultimate. <laughs> my worst nightmare happened. Did right the other team actually eyes. know that you were a co-alumni? I don't think so. Okay, so no. it was more just your. You felt like, oh man, this is a homer call. Like you knew, thought it was right, and honestly, I watched it. Yes, I thought it was right too, but apparently, the people who really know and have knowledge of football. Correct. Said maybe it wasn't correct. Yeah, so it was a it's a weird situation, catch fumble. So to actually complete a catch, you have to have firm control and make an act common to the game. So it was it was borderline, but I think the final ruling was it's just incorrect call because he did not complete the catch before it technically wasn't a fumble, should have just been a incomplete pass. Hey, I got a question. Yeah. Can we put are we allowed to put the video online? Yeah, yeah. We can do a watcher poll it. and see who says No, dude. Everyone's yeah, let's gonna do it. everyone's gonna take me to the shed on that one. That's it's a bad call. We gotta put it out there. We gotta see. We gotta do a listener poll or a watcher poll of what whether they think it was a catch, fumble, or an incomplete pass. <laughs> because we know where their knowledge level is and we're gonna talk about it later. But you brought up an article and I hadn't seen this yet. Tell me about the day trading hamster who's beating Warren Buffett. And Kathy Woods. And yeah. I watched the video. It's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, so the, this is a bold claim, but uh, there's a hamster out there who's a better trader than Warren Buffett and Kathy Woods, apparently. So I think it's two guys in Germany. They've been kind of working on this project for a few years, and then they went live with it a while back. But the gist of it is the hamster runs on a hamster wheel. And then it, that wheel, then when it stops turning, selects a cryptocurrency. And then he has two tunnels, one that says buy and one that says sell. And then I don't know how, they don't ever say how the trades are being executed, but apparently it's in live. There's something, uh, it's trading like live as he does it. Um, did you happen tracking, to watch, did you watch the YouTube video of it? I watched a YouTube video of it. Yeah, just it, a little bit, not a lot, but. Um, it's amazing. Um, his name is Mr. Gox, by the way, <laughs> and uh, you can watch him live on Twitch, which I didn't really know what Twitch was until about a year and a half ago. Our friend Brad, his son was telling us about how people go and play video games on Twitch, and this is kind of the same thing. Um, now, they, they full disclosure, they in here they actually say, hey, look, you know, this isn't financial advice. But what I think it's a really good function of is when everything goes up, it's not that hard. I mean, if everything's going up in value, so think about cryptocurrency the last two years. It's just gone up. It hasn't really gone down. Stock market's the same way. If you have the stock market and every single stock is going up, it's really hard not to be a trader, not to be a, yeah. win, be a winner. And when they say they outperform Warren Buffett and Kathy Woods, well, well, Kathy Woods' fund's not really up very much this year, and Warren Buffett's up a little. So when you're trading in the volatile world of cryptocurrency that's going up, it's pretty easy to outperform 
them in crypto. What I'd like to know is could the hamster outperform them with real stocks? In the same setup with the same stocks. setup, but just run it with the S&P. So you load up the S&P 500 on that hamster wheel. Yeah. He gets to trade the S&P 500 and he still has the buy and the sell tunnels he can go in. What would actually happen then? Yeah, versus see, using crypto because crypto has been volatile. So there's lots of price movement, number one. Number two, there's not as many cryptocurrencies as stocks. Is Number three, they're all going up. Yeah, and this is, so the other thing, they've only been tracking his return since June. So to be up 20% over a few months, that's really irrelevant when most people investing are gonna invest for, for so much longer period of time. But that would be an interesting experiment set up the same thing and just put all 500 or 505 companies from the S&P 500 on the wheel and do it that way to just see which what I guess if you put like 30 of the really good companies, he'd probably have decent performance. I just guess you all really don't know. Yeah, put them all on there. Well, what it leads to another thing though is when you look at articles like this or any anything in the media, anything you're reading, you have to put a, a narrative behind it. And since June, the stock market's basically sideways. It hasn't really gone anywhere. Um, in fact, there was an article out there on Yahoo Finance talking about, are we in a rolling correction? I didn't really you think too much about this, but there's a lot of um, a lot of professionals that think that's what we're actually in. And it's really just a time. And for people that don't know what a rolling correction is, it's a point in time where the market trades relatively sideways, we have really good earnings and really good financial numbers coming from the company, but the stock prices aren't moving. And inherently what it does is it draws down the price earnings ratio. So inherently the companies are less valuable, even though their stock price really hasn't moved. Yeah. And this is, is this kind of the, cause this is a function of an index, right? Because there's been in this article talks about there's been a lot of companies that have had like at least a 10% drawdown this year in individual stocks, but the market is still trading relatively flat. And does it also speak to markets being forward looking? So some of the, cause you, you know, you hear some people talk about, well, mar the market's forward looking and now we're growing into the earnings. Cause you know, they talk the like price of earnings was uh, really high and stuff like that. So is that, I, don't know, I guess I was having a hard time wrapping my mind around. So what does this mean for the individual investor? It doesn't mean anything. It means long-term things probably will go up. Go look at the history of investing. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything for the individual investor. If you've put together a really good financial plan, you have your asset allocation properly allocated. Um, it doesn't mean anything. This is just purely narrative, but people get caught up in this. They hear the word correction. They get kind of thrown in a tizzy. And in fact, most people that get thrown in a tizzy happen to be older males. We read this article, which I was actually really surprised by, but it's an article by MIT rolled out. And um, the title is uh, MIT study finds older men are more likely to panic sell stocks. And I can tell you that the majority of people that call me up and ask if we should go to cash or try to make the impulse decision are typically men. And they're typically the demographic. The article was talking about you know, after the, I started to think about it, my 30 year old clients and 35 and 40 year old clients, they typically call up if there's chaos in the market and say, Hey, let's buy more. 
Yeah. But the 55 year old and the 55 year old calls up and says, should we go to cash? And that's where the financial plan that we've created becomes inherently more important because I can just go lean on that and say, well, look, if we execute this, this, you know, financial asset allocation and we do it well, your probability of success is X. In fact, I did one the other night with a client of mine who, um, he, he wanted to do this back. That would have been last year ish. The Dow hit 27,000 again, you know, bounced off the 18,000, went to 27. And he's like, I think we should, we should, we should just go to all fixed income. I'm like, you're 52. Why? So for him, the financial plan became important because I could show him quantitatively. If you go to all cash, here's your probability of success. If you stick to your plan, here's your probability where if you don't have a plan, you start to make really bad decisions. And if you're older, over 45, I think is what the, the actual study says, you might make really bad decisions. Yeah. So, and here's my, this was my take. So the article kind of wrapped up saying we can't say exactly why people make this decision, but then they gave some like demographics of people that you can predict that will panic sell. So this is just my theory. This is my opinion. I think in general, men in general have a really hard time being wrong. So I think when an event happens, like in the market, it just, it almost makes you feel like if you sell and get out, then it's like you're covering, it's like you're covering your butt from being wrong, even though it's okay if that, if the market goes down, like we talk about all the time, you're better off just buying more or just look at the last correction last March and our clients. And we talk to a lot of people, okay, what did you do when the market go down? And they say, I didn't do anything. You, they didn't panic sell. They just held on. They stuck to their financial plan and they were rewarded for that where had you sold and then you don't know when to get back in. And, um, well now, I mean, that that's turning out to be a much worse decision than just staying in the market and staying invested. Well, and it goes back to the idea that most of the people panic selling, and I wish the article went into this. It said it looked at 600,000 brokerage accounts, but I didn't see anything in there if they were being guided by themselves or a professional. I would but, speculate they're working by themselves. Right. And, and it, it quotes in here, they consider themselves as having excellent investment experience. Okay. Well, this reminds me of a graph that I saw. Yeah. What's the, it's called the Dunning Kruger effect. And it's a graph it's called unskilled and unaware of it. How difficulties in recognizing one's own competence lead to inflated self-assessment. And Ma's gonna put the graph up, but basically when somebody knows nothing and they first enter into, let's say stock trading, their confidence level, once they make their first trade is 100%. I mean, they Especially if they think, buy one and they get lucky right away. They think they're right. They think they know everything. This is like taking the tip from the guy who roofs your house. You go talk to the guy who roofs your house that bought Bitcoin or bought some stock. Oh, you have to do this. I, I'm 100% right. There's no level of doubt in his or hers connotation whatsoever. But the graph shows as you start to gain knowledge, so you actually hit the experienced level, your confidence level falls to about 50%, 50. 
And then as you actually gain experience and you become an expert, the experts confidence levels about 75%. So think about that. The person who knows nothing has a confidence level of hundred <laughs> percent. The expert thinks right. he knows about 75%. So when I read an article like this, that they consider themselves excellent investment experienced people. No, they're not. They're rookies. And that's why they're panic selling. And I mean, I'm not going to beat up on you a little bit, but it kind of reminds me yeah. of when you got into the refereeing world. Yeah, absolutely. And so I never had seen this chart until you showed it to me when we were reading this article. And for me, now this is outside of finance. This is one of my hobbies, officiating football. That graph was like, that's exactly right. <laughs> because I'm going through it right now, right? I'm in my second season. Well, when I started as an official, uh, you know, I'm a football guy. I played football in high school and college. I watch a lot of football. I understand, you know, these are all the things I can do this. I'm going to be good at it. Well, then you get started and you start to learn the officiating mechanics and the ways that officials observe the game. And you realize, well, you're not good at this part of it. I may have been a good fan and a good at watching the game, but observing to make judgments is a totally different thing. So I'm I don't know exactly where I am on the graph when it dips down, but I'm definitely, I'm in the dip right now. And I hope I start working back up to the, to the higher confidence level. But that's, it's just like our industry. When you first get in, you think, you know, everything. And then you realize, well, man, I don't know that much. And you do it for 18, 19, 20 years. I've been doing this for 19 years since 2002. I feel like today I know some, but there's no way that I know everything. But when I started, I sure thought I knew a lot. So I think it's an interesting um, demographic. And anytime I see that somebody believes they're an excellent investment person, but they don't do it yeah, on a full-time basis. You know what else it reminds me of? And I just had to look it up, but there's a Socrates quote, you know, the great philosopher. I am the wisest man alive for I know one thing. And that is that I know nothing. <laughs> so it's like the wiser you get, the more you understand how much there is to know and how much you can always learn. There's always, just like you just said, you've been in this business 20 years. Well, you probably learn something every day or something's presented to you in a way you hadn't thought about before. And, you know, so every you know that there's there's a lot out there. There's a lot to know and you can always be learning something. So it, it seems like, cryptocurrency. Um, it's kind of back in the news. And then I also saw this other article by JP Morgan CEO, Jamie Dimon. And he says Bitcoin could rise 10 times in the price over the next five years. And he just doesn't care, which I think it goes back to, um, you know, he says it's all about speculation. And the gist of what this article and what he's saying is, yes, the price may go up, but he's already decided that he's not a buer of Bitcoin. Well, here's so why. he understands how it works and he he gets like some of the applications. But even in this article, he just says, I personally don't care. And a long time ago, I figured out what you want and do what you want and be successful to yourself. So he's decided, I don't care what happens. I'm not a buyer of this, of this asset or this uh, product, whatever you want to call it. Here's why he's decided not to buy it. It says it right here in quotes. I don't know if it's an asset. I don't know if it's a foreign exchange. 
I don't know if it's a currency, he said. So what happens is he looks through, he has, in his investing mind, he's set some parameters for himself that say, hey, if I don't understand what this is fully, how in the world can I buy it? And that's why it's speculation for him and most people. And it's really good advice for the average, everyday average investor. If you don't know what you're buying, what you're investing in, how it works, it's some level, you can't invest in it. Like, if you don't know what it is, why would you buy it? Well, either know what it is or work with someone that you trust as you, you know, but part buying of, good assets. But part right? of somebody working with somebody is you should be able to say, hey, this is what I have. I have a managed account that has mutual funds and ETFs. Yeah, be able to describe it on some level and understand. If you go yeah, buy a product and you can't explain it at all, then you shouldn't own that product. It's just too complicated. And if it's too complicated, you shouldn't own it. That's what Jamie Dimon's saying is, this is a little too complicated because I can't figure out if it's an asset, if it's foreign exchange, if it's currency, I don't know. So that's why he's not buying it. Yeah, and to and I guess into the the Bitcoin, I wouldn't take this as a knock if I was a Bitcoin buyer, but to the people who say, well, JP Morgan, his company, they're off, they're starting to offer it to clients. Well, that's kind of a different decision for him, right? He's offering it because there's obviously a way to capitalize and make money off of offering those services. This is a set, this is an individual decision for himself as that this doesn't fit his investment picture. It doesn't fit his plan. It just, it doesn't fit his, um, I guess whatever doesn't fit for him, it just it doesn't fit in his picture. Well, it, and here's why. Every person has a different decision tree when they decide to invest. Some people are completely fine buying something that they don't understand and, and quite frankly, probably can't explain. They're okay. He's just not. Um, it's funny, though. He compared this, and we did this show, I don't know, like nine months ago. He went on to compare Bitcoin to the speculative tulip mania, beanie baby craze, and internet stock craze. But it's different this time. Why? No, I'm. That's what people. <laughs> that, I'm just saying that's what people always say oh. with with all these different crazes. It's different this time. Yeah, I mean, and maybe it is. It's yet to be determined. We don't know where it's going to go. Um, but also, there's there's some things coming out that with all of the cryptocurrency, there's some new dating scams actually revolving around cryptocurrency. And these dating scams have been around forever, but now they're trying to empty their crypto wallets. Um, this is actually on MSN, but the FBI's warning of a rising trend in which scammers are de defrauding victims via online romance scams, persuading individuals to send money to allegedly invest or trade cryptocurrency. Isn't that terrible? There's like, this is just terrible. There's always a slime ball out there looking to take advantage of somebody. Always. Know, especially like, I just feel so bad for anyone that this has happened to because I know, you know, date, um, the dating apps and stuff like that are really popular now. And obviously if you're going on a dating app, it's cause you're trying to find a connection and trying to find a relationship and then. Here's just like another way to scan. I was actually really discouraged when I read this. I just think this is terrible that people do of, stuff like that. 30% of U.S. adults have used a dating app at some point. People age 50 to 64, one in five have used a dating app. And think about what happens here. Most people who are going on a dating app, there's really two people, people who are actively seeking to meet people. Like they're just, we I have a friend who uses this. She 
has tons of self-confidence. She is not scared. She just likes to meet a bunch of different people, right? She hasn't found the one yet. Then there's the other person who's really lonely and they get on the dating apps and that's who they're really trying to find. Who's the lonely person who, you know, will I can say anything to, and they decide they really like me. And it's really sad because I actually know of people this has happened to, but you need to verify at some level who you're talking to online because you don't really know. We've all seen the show catfish that was out there for a while where someone pretends to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. They show up or they're like, wait a minute, who are you? Um, But the FBI actually to help people prevent these situations has come up with, you know, several tips to help people not get scammed by this. Because think of the, here's what happens. Elias start talking to someone online for eight months, let's say, and you think everything's really, really good. And you're just having casual conversation, right? Like nothing's happening. You wouldn't be wise to anything. And all of a sudden they say, Hey, have you ever heard about this cryptocurrency? And they trust you now because they've been talking to you for eight months. And the next thing they say, Hey, you know, oh, well, I don't know how to buy cryptocurrency. Oh, I do. Let me help you. And yep, that's how it go. starts right there. It starts. Yeah. It never starts out that they're asking you for something immediately. We talked about this is several months ago. I don't know if you remember this, but it starts out. Hey, you know, I can't fix my water heater. Well, I'll loan you the money. Oh, no, I can't inconvenience you. Like they just always make it seem innocent and it's the start of something bigger. So here's what the FBI says we should do. Never send money, trade, or invest per the advice of someone you've solely met online. I think that's really good advice. I mean, if you've never met the person, you don't know where they're even sitting. They could be in some foreign country, and this is what they do. It's like the Jamaica scams, the lottery scams. People think they won the lottery. Send me $500 for the taxes. Start small. Right. Yeah, so that that's good right there. Just... If you've only met them online, you know, don't do any trading or investing. Uh, And then what? Do not disclose any financial status. Do not provide banking information or social security. I mean, these are good. These are good tips. And I guess this is common sense. If you don't know inherently who you're talking. I mean, if you're not in a committed relationship with someone where there's more of a commitment level than the computer screen. Why in the world would you give them your social security number, your passport number, any sense of information, your banking info? Why would you do that? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I just don't understand. And they're literally wiping people out. Yeah. Um, this is I, this is a tough topic though, because like I haven't dated for so long. I don't even really remember how it goes. So I've been with my wife for eight years, married for five. So. I've been with my wife like 22, married for <laughs> yeah, 19. So, so I don't know anything I'm like about trying to comment on everything I know about dating works, apps. But I don't know. Everything I know about dating apps is completely third party from one of my <laughs> yeah. wife's friends. That's it. Was um, internet invented when you got married? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, Eli. The internet was invented. You know. <laughs> what just, was the question again? <laughs> was the internet invented when you got married? Yes, Elias. The, okay, I just wanted to make sure. The the internet was invented when I got <laughs> married. So, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about dating apps because, we, like you said, we don't have to worry about those. But either way, be safe if you're using dating apps. It's easy to take advantage of. We don't want to see that happen to anybody. Um, keep your information to yourself. Well, hey, a, a couple of things, Elias, that um, 
coming down a pipe. There's really eight retirement planning bills um, that everybody that's listening to the show should be watching. It may not affect you today, but it may in the future. Um, and we're going to run through those eight bills and what they are. Uh, but the first one uh, was put out there in May. And it's part of the Secure Act 2.0, and it's potentially raising the required minimum distribution age from 72 to 75. Um, and it expands auto enrollment into retirement plans and enhances the 403B plans, among other provisions. The key thing is here, RMD age, so required minimum distribution age from 72 to 75. And I've talked about this for a while, and people don't realize that that required minimum distribution is set forth for somebody to make sure the government starts to get the tax tax dollars on the account. But here's the problem. Most people, when they get the RMD or the required minimum distribution, they go and spend it. They don't reinvest it. That required minimum distribution is designed to run your account to zero at some point in the future. So if you always take the required minimum distribution and spend it every year, you are most likely going to run out of money at some point in time. Yeah, because that formula to determine it, it's pretty aggressive and it and it escalates, right, over the years. Every year, it's more and more and more that you have to take out. It's all based on life expectancy. So the older you get, the more you have to take out of it. Uh, on May 24th, there was another bill that was put out there. It has the RMDH to 75, but also um, looks to establish a national online database of lost retirement accounts. And you would be surprised how many people have accounts that they don't know. It could have been an employer that they have a $3,000 account out there. They don't know how to find it. They're not getting statements. They've moved five times and it's just a lost account. Um, and I think this is overlooked. I mean, I, I've ran into people who are literally like, oh, I didn't know I had this. We had one the other day. They got a rollover form. Yeah, we had, we had a client that got a letter. They were entitled to, it was in the ballpark of $180,000 that they did not know about. So I was like, how do you not know about that? But I did say, well, that probably makes your day, doesn't it? So <laughs> she got a good laugh out of that. Well, yeah, that makes my day. Um, yeah, but I would think between, like you're saying, small accounts and, um, and then there's probably like even small beneficiary accounts out there or accounts that were just never closed properly all the way. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of unaccounted for retirement plans out there. So if they get this set up, so what, there's going to be a database and then it'll be like that. Um, you can go on there and search what your name and social security and see if there's any accounts that you have forgotten about or you're entitled to somehow. Well, if you think about how a retirement account's established, it's all unique to your taxpayer ID number or social security number. So it's probably all they'll need is to, you know, just do a social security number search. Uh, but it's going to force these companies to report the accounts that are still there. So I don't know exactly how it'll work, but it'll be pretty slick for people to go out and try to find what they're entitled to. I always think of that um, in Iowa, we have that uh, the lost treasure website where you can go search and see if you're, have anything you're entitled to that you mm -hmm. just forgot about or don't know. I mean, everybody kind of goes out there and checks it up. I did. I had $250 in a Wells Fargo checking account. Did that, you really? I was, I was shot. Yes. And I, I'm still not sure that they sent me the money, but I just thought, I don't know how it's possible. I would forget about a checking account that I had. Well, it could have so been. I'm not sure what it was from. Could have been something your parents established for you. 
could have been a grandparent who established it that yeah. forgot to tell you. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. I just know because like I opened my first checking account when I was 18. And so when I'm 32 now and I and when I did bank at Wells Fargo, I mean, I was just starting my career. So it's like I didn't have any money. So how would I forget about 250 bucks somewhere? But apparently I did. So. Well, those are some of the things we should watch. One of the other things to watch is um, just talk about Social Security and some of the benefits that are scheduled to be reduced by 25%. Um, by 2032, that Social Security trustee, we talked about this, the trustees of Mount with their new report. Um, and I would think we're going to start to see some type of uh, bills or legislation trying to tackle this sooner rather than later. But it's why when we work with someone on a financial plane who's our age, let's say, we're planning on a reduced social security benefit amount. It's going to be there. We just don't know what it's going to be or whether you're going to pay more to get it. Um, but that's some of the other things we should be looking for in any upcoming bills or legislation coming down the pipe. Yeah. And they also talked about increasing IRA limits for people that don't have access to employer plans. Um, I think it said something like 15,000 would be the limit for someone who doesn't have access to an IRA plan. So I think any sort of change like that, that would be really good too, because, you know, not everyone has a job that offers retirement savings. So, and if you don't have it, but then you're also capped at like right now, if you're under 50, you can do 6,000. If you're over 50, you can do seven. Well, if you want to like really do a meaningful amount of savings, I, I would be all for increasing that amount for people who don't have Actually, I'd be all for increasing the amount in general for everyone. But if it's only for people that don't have access to a plan, I can get behind that too. You know, I read one the other day, and it's not in our outline, but there's another um, proposal out there to disallow um, private placements and alternative investments from IRAs and Roth IRAs. And it all goes back to the whole Peter Thiel effect of having, you know, privately held stock in a Roth IRA. And there was talk about this and there's some really big repercussions because if you're an accredited investor, which is basically a million dollars of net worth or 250,000 of income, you may have bought a private place or an alternative investment in your IRA or Roth IRA. If they pass this, this legislation, you'll potentially have to sell that. Well, what, what, and this is where it goes back to having people that are non-financial and don't understand our industry create laws most of those products are fairly illiquid. So how are we going to get liquidity? You're, you're going to have all of these. And, you know, real estate's been a popular one that people have as a non-traded asset in a portfolio. Well, if everybody has, if the government forces everybody to sell, we have to sell the property. So there's some really misguided things out there. This one just was rolled out the other day. Um, there's a big article by Ed Slot talking about it. Um, just says, hey, look, the repercussions, this is going to hurt more Main Street people than a few Peter Thiels of the world. Yeah, and that that's kind of where I was at with it is, you know, when, when you hear the talking point, well, like the Roth IRA was intended for middle class people to take advantage of. Well, and they do and they should, but just because a couple people use the rules to their advantage. I don't think it means that you should change the rules on everybody else. Well, especially when I think it's 
in my opinion, it's probably the best vehicle for long-term savings. That bill also looks to limit Roth conversions for for people who make more than 400000 It also looks to completely shut the loophole of converting after-tax dollars. So that would kill the backdoor Roth IRA and the mega backdoor Roth IRA. So don't these talking points kind of point to the importance of, of the Roth and thinking about strategies that get your money into tax-free growth and tax-free distributions. They don't want your money there. They don't want you to have tax-free dollars. They need to collect revenue. Think about where we're at as a country. We owe a ton of money. They have, the only way to pay this is collect tax revenue. It's the only way to pay. Right. And they know, and basically if you keep it in the tax deferred accounts, well, that's great for the government because as your account grows, so does your tax, so does your future tax bill. If your account grows at 10% a year, their tax revenue grows at at least 10% a year, assuming that they don't tax raise, rates don't go yeah, up. Right. Well, if tax rates go up, you're going to pay even more. So it goes back to what we talk about with people, get as much into that tax-free space as possible because they're already going after it. They're already trying to limit it. Who knows? They might make you withdraw money from your tax-free account just so you don't get a large enough balance. That's also in this bill. Accounts over a certain dollar, you'll have to take a distribution on every single year to limit how much you accumulate. So there's a lot of stuff changing. It's why working with a planner is important so we can keep up on these things and having a really good financial plan. If you think about how we do financial planning, Elias, the plans are very dynamic. They're not static, meaning we don't print you out a booklet and throw it in a desk drawer. We run it on the computer and we update the plan as we meet. So all of the planning modules adapt to what's going on with all of the new laws and legislation and tax changes. Because when these things change, this could have a profound impact on somebody's actual financial plan. Uh, yeah, and it would probably have an impact on certain on decisions that you either need to make now or in the next couple of years too, is where to position your money and your assets. Well, I wanna tell everybody, I appreciate everybody listening and watching today. If you need to have a plan done or wanna contact an advisor, you can go to btwellshow.com. We'd be happy to help you with that. Thanks for watching and listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.